Welcome to the Ninja Tune Podcast with myself, DK. And for this edition, we'll be talking to Mr. Scruff about his new album, Friendly Bacteria, which is out on Ninja Tune. We'll talk about some of the artists he's worked with on the album, those legendary extended DJ sets, and his big album night at the Roundhouse in London. After that, we'll have a preview of some of the new releases on the Ninja Tune family of labels. Sitting here with Andy Carthy, better known as Mr. Scruff, in the Colcut Studio here at Ninja Tune HQ, nestled between a Roland 303 and 808 cushions. You were actually the very first guest on the Ninja Tune podcast back in 2009, so welcome back. You're making me feel very old now, but very honoured as well. Thank you. Thank you. So that was for the 10th anniversary reissue of Keep It Unreal. That originally came out in 99, and your last studio album, Ninja Tuna, was in 2008. I know we've had a few singles since then, but how have you spent the rest of the time? Yeah, a few, a few too many gigs. Uh, parenthood for the last three years, which I think's put a really nice, massive spanner in the works in a good way. I was speaking to Ninja about a year ago, and he said, you do know that you're signed to us as an artist, and artists generally put out albums. Oh yes, so they do. So uh, yeah, I put down the the, the kids' uh, xylophone and the and the shakers and the rattles and switched on the sampler and yeah, got an album done. The track we're just listening to is uh, "Friendly Bacteria," the title track of uh, your new album out on Ninja Tune, and it features several collaborations, which we'll uh, talk about shortly. But I want to ask about the process this time round. There's still plenty of trademark sounds in there, that Mr. Scruff bounce and, uh, and wobble. But it seems a bit more melodic and contemporary than the previous albums. Was this a, a natural development or just a different side of Mr. Scruff? I think so, yeah. I mean, more of the... I think a lot of the sound was informed by the collaborations, which is really nice because um, it meant I didn't have to th- overthink it, if you see what I mean. Because it, for me, collaborations are all about freedom and, and I think both parties or you know depending on how many of you are collaborating um, everyone relaxing getting out of their comfort zone but also not worrying about what it should sound like or you know does this sound like me just none of that you know all that over analyzing which you can you know you can get into as you uh, as you get older whereas when you're a kid you just don't care so it was nice it was nice to kind of almost get back into a more playful method of recording and just working with amazingly talented musicians and, and vocalists so it's, it's just a more pure joy really but then having real also real fun with the kind of the sort of sound design aspect of it and yeah maybe getting a bit kind of harsher and more aggressive and a little bit darker it seems like there's less samples in there if, if any was that a conscious decision or, or a directive from the uh, licensing department at Ninja Tune uh, a, a bit of both I think um, you know Getting on for you know about 30 years ago when you know that, that cold cut approach of right I've got loads of records I'm going to shove them on top of other records and then put it out as my own record um, you get in trouble for that nowadays <laughs> so um, you know although that, that thing's very creative I think from the last album you know there are a couple of tracks where I, I use uh, samples and you know the amount of publishing and writing you have to give away to people 
And the whole legal thing I just found a little bit frustrating and also working with amazing musicians because I'll always have a, the, the ear of a, a DJ and a sampler and it's, it's just as much fun almost like creating your own composite samples and chopping those up. I love the restriction you get with samples. I love the fact that you're taking something that's already a finished product and then making something new out of it. I suppose nowadays I might make a tune and then use a tiny bit of that as a basis for a new tune as well. like to chat about some of the collaborations and you brought in some of their their own releases to play i know you've worked with roots maneuver seeming to alice russell and you know quantic before um this seems a bit more integral to the album so yeah let's start with dennis jones as you say features four times on the album four times vocal and he's playing guitar and sort of humming and harmonizing on the, the final track of the album as well how did you initially meet him and how did it get to get together with him well, he was he was supporting Amp Fiddler at a gig in Liverpool, and we're good friends with Joe Amp Fiddler, and we've you know really into his music. So we went over to see him, um, and Dennis was supporting, and I'd not heard of him before. Um, and I found it quite enthralling the way he, he was just there with his guitar and a mixer and a loop pedal, creating feedback loops, which then become little blobs of melody, which are then kind of repeat of motifs through the tune. I like when people use loop pedals, but it's just not quite a dull kind of linear progression. He's got that kind of lovely wires everywhere, slightly out of control thing that people like Graham Massey and Paddy Steer have as well. So, you know, he's another kind of fellow electronic, folky, all over the place, shambolic Mancunian. Um, and we got chatting in the interval and got on really well, found we had loads of friends in common. He was into my music. I said, yeah, I'd love to do some work with you, you know what I mean? I was just, you know, when you're excited about something and you either want to buy one of their releases or, you know, which I did immediately, I bought one off him, and or you want to work with them if you're in a fortunate position of being able to do so. So, yeah, we just got in touch. And the, the thing that struck me about working with Dennis is that a lot of the previous collaborations have been people who are generally quite busy and don't live in Manchester and I'm lucky to get them in the studio for two days maximum, you know, it's like Quantic, alright, you've come over from Colombia, come in the studio for a day, alright, see ya, you know, I'll catch you in a year. With Dennis, he lives half a mile down the road, so we'll come round for a brew a couple of times a week, we'll start talking about music, it's like, why are we talking about it, let's do it. I just found it very fresh because he's one of the first people I've worked with who I can't really place musically in terms of their lineage and where they come from and kind of their influences and that kind of thing, which I found really refreshing and liberating because I wasn't trying to kind of tailor anything to their sound. I'm the one that decides I know the thoughts of the meaning I wanna fall alive 
track by Dennis Jones called The Beginning tell us a bit about that is that the first track you heard of his or? yeah this is the, the when, I, when I wandered in halfway through his performance in Liverpool this was the track he was playing and I was immediately transfixed straight away dead mellow really hypnotic very soulful very curious bewitching yeah I mean yeah, I may as well not talk about the tune <laughs> just listen to it but you know that'll, that'll explain it but it's just you know it's a lovely little three note riff in it which is just built up out of bits of feedback which he then cuts off with a fader and you know at the appropriate time and I've never seen anything like that before it's just it's someone who's, who, who's kind of built his own little world up out of his kit and loads of bits of wires and it's quite confusing but seeing him operate that and not quite knowing what's going on and he doesn't know quite what's going on but seeing it this this beautiful track unfold in front of you live was a real joy to behold and when I got the CD home that I bought off him that night I was uh, yeah I just played this track over and over again Coast wind A wizardy wonder Traversing from wonder to wonder Stakes made Trade and trade how did it hatch if it didn't get laid? Coding the freshest intuition Looking back on the brighter things that glisten Snakes great, frayed and strained How can it match if the matches remain? That was Beginning by Dennis Jones. And uh, coming up, next track off the new album by Mr. Scruff. Uh, it's called Feel Free. And that features Matthew Halsall and Phil France. Is there any others on that? Uh, well, Dennis is on that. Dennis was playing a uh, sort of lovely guitar, sort of cycle guitar thing and, and a tiny bit of piano and um, some sort of ghostly humming vocals. Um, Phil's on bass. He came in. That he played that bass at, I think, ten o'clock in the morning. Um, after not playing bass for two weeks, he just moved house. Apologised profusely for being really rusty, and then just absolutely nailed it. I was gutted. Well, not gutted, but it's like, wow, this is you know, because because Phil's quite a, um, he's a lovely guy, but he doesn't, you know, his persona isn't of like superstar musician. And you grab, get him in the studio, it's like, wow, you. This is beautiful. How you know? How is this happening at this time in the morning? And then Matthew Halsall, the same again. He's a very quiet, unassuming musician. Who, I don't think he likes the sound of his own trumpet. You know, quite often he won't even play in his own tunes. But he's just got this lovely stillness and uh, and and calm to his music. But on, on my stuff he played on my album, I think because he's kind of got that almost like quite traditional, very meditational almost like spiritual meets ECM style jazz well you know he's got this lovely stillness and calm about his music he just wants to play and make daft noises on, on other people's tunes but I've, you know I've got him to play some you know some proper trumpet on this as well I 
another track you brought along uh, by Matthew Hulsell is uh, a track called Music for a Dancing Mind. Yeah, tell us. I mean, like I say, that could, that could have been plucked off a Stratarese record or Blue Note record from the 60s or 70s. A beautiful piece of music. Yeah, I mean, Matt is um, a musician who's also, you know, he's a really good DJ as well. Very in touch with, obviously, all aspects of jazz and how that music's developed and, you know, a lot of modern music as well. He's very musically curious into a lot of stuff and this yeah this you know he's, he's put out a lot of albums but I think this was this is the first track I've heard of his which really just got me straight away a lot of the other stuff is, is quite almost meditational and kind of if you listen hard it's like oh there's not much there is there and then a few listens later on in the background you're like oh wow this is actually really quite special but this got me straight away it's got a real kind of propulsion and energy to it just a beautiful piece of music but this style of jazz that kind of late 60s early 70s thing which is very very clearly influenced by but has a real kind of stamp of authority on it and the fact that he's not playing all over it and showing off has a real respect for the kind of the art form and just quietly putting his own stamp on it which I really respect but it's yeah just an incredible piece of music France you just talked about as well. How many tracks did he feature on? Uh, Phil's on two tracks on the album. There's uh, Feel Free, where he, yeah, he, he, well, he played bass, bass on both tracks, and the other one was Catch Sound, um, which was a track that was originally built on a sample, which we then placed the sample, actually, something I'm not really normally a fan of, because it kind of the whole reason you pick a sample is because it's capturing a moment in time and then trying to recreate that moment which in that case was from 1975 you know kind of uh, nearly 40 years later and try and get the same vibe out of it is difficult but then um, Andy Kingslow replayed the roads on that tune and Phil came in and just nailed it on the bass and added another part as well Yeah. 
is a uh, player and one of the major collaborators on on uh, with Cinematic Orchestra. He's a local lad to Manchester, is he? Did you and did you did you know him anyway, or was it via Cinematic that you got to know him? Uh, yeah, I knew him via via uh, Cinematic, and then yeah, when he moved, yeah, he, he moved quite near me a couple of years ago. Um, and I know his girlfriend, and they've had a kid recently, and me having a young daughter as well you just bump into each other in the park oh right oh yeah i remember meeting you at that gig how are you and then you know it's kind of circumstances kind of dictate your kind of social circles and all that kind of thing but you know he's he's really nice to get on with he released an album uh, last year called the swimmer which was completely the opposite of what i've expected you think right a bassist is going to have double bass all over it there wasn't really any bass on it and it's really kind of quite calm in almost like a sort of Steve Reich way or something like that and my daughter I put I put the tune on on my laptop not the best thing to listen to music on uh, especially considering the amount of bottom end on that record but she just started leaping around the room and oh, I like this tune daddy and it's like okay let's check it out because I was a little bit like mm, I'm not sure about this you know I was expecting some lovely woody double bass and it was quite yeah, odd. Very, very simple and quite childlike, but now I can't get enough of it. I've played it at pretty much every gig. Let's have a listen then. Uh, you got the title track, which is uh, called The Swimmer, and yeah, it's uh, a stunning piece of music. Thank you. 
Don't off the uh, Mr. Scruff album featuring, well, Robert Owens, legendary figure and uh, obviously a voice to countless classic house records, uh, not to mention, of course, Cold Cut and Fotec. How did it feel working with him, uh, working with that voice? Uh, brilliant, yeah, because because the, the, the track, I wrote that very quickly, um, probably about an hour, just the, you know, the basic music and the, the kind of the chords and the bass line and the drums and very early on in the development of the tune, I just heard his voice echoing around my head, and I thought, right, I just emailed Ninja and said, look, I know you've worked with Robert, you know, via Cold Cut, can you get in touch with Robert Owens, just send him this bit of, you know, the little truncated version of the tune, if he's into it, can we work on it, like six hours later, it was sorted and we booked the studio, so it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was it's a joy when that kind of thing happens, you know what I mean? Because quite often, you know, I've, I've worked on stuff and thought, oh, right, yeah, this person would sound great on it. And you send it via management or whatever, and it just, you never hear anything back, you know what I mean? Which is fine, you know, I know people are busy, and if stuff happens, there's a reason. But yeah, it was great. And I came down to London um, to my friend Andy Kingslow's studio to record it. Andy used to own the studio in Manchester that I, I, I did the, the Ninja Tuner album at. And it was great because Andy and his girlfriend Sarah, who played a lot of cello on the on the new album, uh, they'd never heard of Robert Owens because they're, they're from this proper muso, you know, I play ten instruments with my eyes shut background. Um, whereas I come from a, you know, I've got loads of records and I don't play anything background. But it was it was it was lovely, you know, because he just came and sat down at the table and they were, they were like, oh Robert, you know, where are you from? And kind of da 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 da. And yeah, you know, I didn't have a clue about this whole you know lineage of working with Larry Heard and all the kind of um, you know Leroy Burgess Association and working with Sylvester and people like that. So it was really good, you know. Kind of, it must have been quite nice for him just speaking to two nice people and chatting about general stuff rather than people pecking his heads about tracks B sides and you know, what was it like in Chicago in 1986. But yeah, you know, I've, I've pretty much got everything he's recorded on, especially all the you know the, the Mr. Fingers and Fingers Inc. and all the, all the Larry Heard stuff and all the things with Ron Wilson and, you know, from that mid to late 80s Chicago stuff. That was my childhood, you know what I mean? And this track you, you brought in, Bring Down the Walls, is that his first solo release? I think it was the first solo one that I, I recall. I mean, that was, yeah, that's getting on for 30 years old now, that record, which is freaky because it sounds very futuristic. But yeah, it's just raw, it's just very evocative. You can imagine what the clubs were like in, you know, Chicago, the music box and the warehouse and all that kind of stuff. Imagine hearing something like this for the first time in a dark room, you know, at the kind of the, the dawn of creation of, of house music where the kind of disco and the new wave and the electro were all, um, you know, kind of colliding together. Um, 
Yeah, you know, a fascinating and very fertile period in, in, in the development of music, especially from a, a DJ's perspective. All right, well, let's have a listen to that then. Uh, Robert Owens and uh, Bring Down the Walls.
another track brought in by Mr. Scruff. That was Delta Bad Hand by Digo and Kylie Tatham, featuring Vanessa Freeman on vocals, and, uh, and both Vanessa and Kylie appear on the Mr. Scruff album. Tell us about Vanessa. What's the history there? Uh, yeah, I've, I've, I met Vanessa when she was doing a lot of the Broken Beat stuff, you know, Bugs and Kylie and, and Digo and all the real people and all that kind of thing. I suppose that, you know, that whole kind of late 90s thing where there were people taking that essence of a lot of the 70s soul, all the harmonising, a lot of, I suppose, the uh, hallmarks of Roy Ayers music, a lot of ensemble parts, quite tricky drums, people sounding like they're having a party in the studio, that kind of thing. Um, well, I met Kaidi touring with the Herbalizer in the late 90s, and every night, because he's such, he hangs around with loads of spotters and diggers and Malachi Trout and Olive, you know, and all these people... He knows so much about music, especially all the kind of, you know, jazz fusion, soul, Latin, boogie stuff. So, you know, I'm well into that as well. So we just stayed up after each gig for about three hours, you know, until about eight in the morning on the tour bus for three weeks, just talking about music and just, you know, when we should have been asleep, just, uh, yeah, having, having a whale of a time drinking Guinness and just listening to jazz and soul and stuff. It was, it was amazing. But is such a ball of energy. And then being introduced to all those people you know, creating that music. Um, and meeting Vanessa, just a real sweetheart, real kind of, very kind of sweet and ballsy at the same time, you know what I mean? She, she's a, she's really an amazing character as a person, but also as a singer, she's very versatile as well. Whether it's her own solo stuff, things with the real people, this kind in, um, you know, Digo track she, she guested on, or things like the um, Baker Brothers, the fun guys from Bournemouth, and she really shows off her like proper soul and kind of jazz chops on those tunes. You know, she, you know, she's been there and done it. She knows her stuff. Yeah, proper, proper, really good.
I want to talk a bit about your legendary DJ sets. You're often known for doing six-hour sets and, uh, and sometimes more. I've always liked your uncompromising ethos of, uh, of doing it your way and that you uh, prefer to start earlier in the evening and taking it all the way through to build up your own atmosphere. How did that all come about? Was it fed up with uh, playing peak time sets or, or have you always done it that way? Um, well, for, yeah, it, 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 I think it's just something that evolved because whenever, from the moment I started DJing, I sort of came out of the, I sort of inc- did 10 years incubation of, as a sort of bedroom DJ. So when I came out and started doing gigs, I had the usual bar gigs and stuff, where you play all night anyway for 20 quid if you're lucky. And then that progressed to a few guest spots at club nights. And they were all, a lot of those were quite collaborative things. So you'd be playing with like-minded souls and there weren't really, weren't really set times or anything. You were all kind of residents and that kind of thing. So I was lucky enough to be resident at probably three or four different club nights as well as a couple of bar gigs in Manchester. And then I started doing guest spots. But I think I kind of started taking over with the guest spots, going, OK, I want to play for three hours. And there'd be a couple of resident DJs as well. So I'd be playing most of the night at other people's nights, and I was feeling a bit greedy, really. It's like, hmm, but I kind of, yeah, I want to play. You know, I've, I've always brought my mixer to gigs and brought lots of vinyl, and I've never been satisfied with just playing an hour or something like that. It's always got to be sort of at least sort of three hours. And then in 99, I was offered a residency at a new club, and I'd never thought of myself as starting my own club night I'd always just played at other people's or you know been a resident at nights I've been asked to I've never been really involved in the kind of in- infrastructure or doing flyers or any of that kind of thing and then um, coincidentally I'm not sure how this worked out but the, the people of Planet K who asked me to do a night at their newly opened club in Manchester that first night happened to be the launch party for Keep It Unreal uh, where I played all night and then I just carried on doing that as a monthly and I'm still doing that now, 15 years later. But once I kind of found my feet in that, it was just a whole, a real joy playing for the whole night, and it just felt very natural. It's something I'd done, you know, for a long time. It wasn't really a big deal. It's just, oh, I like playing all night. This is normal. So it, it was just, I suppose, you know, extension of, you know, everyone played all night in the 80s, that kind of thing. So I think that that kind of the lineage of DJs that I not necessarily grew up with, but grew up listening to, they played all night, played lots of different kinds of music because they had to back then. So when I had a residency, it was just, right, well, I know about all these different genres. I've done, you know, I've had hip-hop residencies. I've been resident at house nights. I've done reggae nights. While not particularly being an expert in all of them, I know enough to be able to string them together and know what, you know, figure out the joins and, you know, the kind of the, the different methods of presentation at these nights and kind of, you know, blurring the boundaries and making something cohesive that works over a whole evening. Then when I started taking guest spots, or doing tours, I just said, well, I may as well just do the whole night. Because then anything less than that didn't feel quite satisfying enough, really. So it was just about pleasing myself as a DJ in terms of really enjoying it and keeping that buzz and not walking away from a night feeling frustrated, you know what I mean? Or just, oh, I wish I'd played a bit longer or I didn't have enough time to play that. I wanted to play a lot of different kinds of music, but not in a kind of, hey, look how eclectic I am. It's just, look, this all fits together and all makes perfect sense to me. And playing all night, I find the warm-up thing I really enjoy. You get to see everyone as they come in, and there's no big kind of well, hey when you come on because you're on before anyone comes in. And I quite like just being there and being part of the furniture. And then, you know, through the whole night, it just gets more and more intense and people end up having a really good time. 
rather than it kind of you coming on at midnight and there being this pressure to kind of kick off straight away with big tunes. I hate that. Big tunes are like the you know the pudding at the end of a long eight course meal. They're a treat for people who've made it through the other stuff. It's the peak of you know if you're building up to something and a big tune that everyone knows can blow the roof off at the right time. regularly put up some of these mammoth DJ sets on uh, SoundCloud. Is that a memento for the night, for those that attended? Or is it to show others what they've been missing? I guess it's a great advert for the night for uh, for those that might want to come along to, uh, to one of your shows. A bit of both, yeah. I think, I mean, they've gone down really well. Um, for me, it's much more fun recording a mix at a gig rather than trying to do it at home. I think when you're at home, you concentrate too much on the technical thing just think about it too much when you've got a club full of people in front of you you have to do it and that little edge and the extra energy and the pressure I think forces you into action and, and you're kind of the first half hour you're just kind of trying to weave these disparate strands of a few tunes together and then suddenly you and, and the people on the dance floor click uh, but yeah the SoundCloud things have gone down really well I think especially for because I don't travel that far overseas nowadays so it's good for people in Australia or Japan or places where I used to play a lot more regularly or America or Canada to be able to listen to the stuff so it's like okay well I can't make it over you know cheers for asking in the meantime here's a six hour mix and lots of people listen to them over and over again I get really good feedback from them I try and put up the track listings because people hear the tunes and want to get hold of them so although it's quite a lot of work I should really do it as I'm doing the gig but yeah it's, it's really good feedback and it's something that I think it's got me a reputation, held that reputation for the six hour things, but also people can listen. So when they come to the gigs, they're already in the mindset of what to expect, which is a really positive thing. I think they're just like, okay, yeah, I'm not going to moan that it's too mellow at the start because I know it's going to be really heavy in a couple of hours' time and I'm just going to enjoy the ride. And that thing of a night feeling almost like it's normal and ordinary, no fanfares, just people dancing to good music. And I quite like that normal, just. Yeah, there's nothing, I don't wish on, you know, I don't put anything about the setup and all the tech stuff. People have asked me about it, you know, and I think it's in, if it's interesting, you can find out about it and, and I'll gladly chat about it, obviously. But the main thing is playing good tunes and people are interested in them. And, you know, having people who don't even know who Sunra is dancing to Sunra records and not me going, hey, this is, you know, this cosmic jazz legend you should know more about. It's like, but some of those people will come up and go, what's this? I'm curious about this. Ah, well, Sunra, he's, you know, 
He's got this massive discography. Please do dive in. You'll be amazed and slightly confused, but you'll be much, much happier for it. Or It's nice being able to share your favourite records in a way that's not, look what I've got, or this is so rare. It's just, this is this record gives me joy and this is the, t- the time of night where I'm most excited about playing it and I know that half of you are going to really buzz off this as much as I do and if you're not you can go to the bar because you're going to enjoy the me- next record just as much kind of thing it, it, the pressure's off but the whole SoundCloud thing means that because I don't particularly play a lot of functional club music because I think any record loud in a club is a club tune you can listen to it at home while you're working and it's quite mellow and kind of builds up in quite a natural way so you can enjoy the same experience in a very different environment and I like the fact that you can do that You can render me Just leave me rendered and overexposed You can number me Reconstructed with freedom's bulldoze You do this locally If it's actually just juxtaposed You see you're leading me Simply excess that flows in low Sticking with the sort of the whole SoundCloud thing, what's what's your relationship been with technology, internet, social media? Because you've obviously been kind of both sides of the social media explosion. Have you? You're obviously on Twitter. You SoundCloud. Have you fully embraced? Is it a necessary evil? Or um, yeah, I think I, I first looked upon it as a necessary evil, and that was quite fun. I mean, I've I've learned about a lot of stuff from just. You know, people posting stuff on Twitter and Facebook, tunes especially, or little bits of documentaries or whatever. So it's kind of, if you want a bit of stimulation, it's there. But I think, in you know, as with anything, too much of it, just you almost end up craving this communication with people who you might not know or aren't spending time with. You know, I mean, I'd much rather sit in a room and chat to people. However, this is a bit of fun. Um, and... You know, it's good, it's nice getting, you know, having your own artist page and be able to put stuff up and ask questions and get feedback or advice or be, uh, being able to answer people's questions. Uh, you know, it's a very di- direct method of communication, which I think is really good. Uh, the SoundCloud thing is good for me because it's kind of, it's social media but very music-centric, so it's kind of, right, I'm obsessed about music. This is a very pure thing, there's no fluff or anything. You get spammed on there and that kind of thing, but generally most of my communication on there is you know like hearing great new music or people asking me about tunes and a mix and that kind of stuff this is all positive constructive communication and it's the kind of talk that I like to engage with people we had Ilham Sphere on the uh, on the last podcast he mentioned coming to your nights and you know mentioned you as an inspiration um 
do you see yourself now as one of the elder statesmen in the uh, Manchester scene? And uh, have you got any proteges under your wing? Or uh, there's yeah, I mean, uh, out, out of people who used to come to my nights. I mean, Sam Floating Points said he used to come to my nights when he lived in Manchester. So it, it kind of half makes me feel like a right old fart, and half like okay, well, this is worth it. You know what I mean? Because I think the kind of the slow and steady approach and just making things putting a lot, of, a lot of effort in but just as a kind of normal this is what we should do way not showing off about it it's kind of it pays back a few years down the line I think and that foundation I think I'm getting the repercussions of it now which is great um, I mean there's a, a there's a night in Manchester called So Flute uh, which is you know a few, quite a few young DJs that's almost like Hoya Hoya a few years on and they're playing right across the board and they're all young kids who used to come to my nights and still do. But they're booking people like Andres and Giles Peterson and Floating Points. It's like, great. Wicked, you're playing what I do. You're putting your spin on it. Um, fantastic. So it's good. But then, you know, I came out of a lot of people. Uh, you know, I've been influenced by so many people. It's, it's odd to be considered an influence yourself. But then I suppose it also means you, you try hard because people are actually listening. This is... It's, it's great, it's very flattering, you know, and, and it's good. I like the fact that, I suppose, what, what the, the, the people who come to my nights and then put on their own nights and, and cite me as an influence, and these are people whose nights I've played at or I've been to their nights and go, I really respect what you're doing and I like your night as a place to go to for a night out because you're doing it properly. You're, it's not just about the music, it's about the whole atmosphere, creating a comfortable venue, getting a nice group of people together and create an atmosphere in which you can play the music which you love in an order which sounds good on the dance floor. Um, it's a very simple formula, but one that is quite easy to get wrong as well. So it's nice to see when when nippers come up and are doing it properly. It's, it's, it's great, you know, because I'm not going to be doing it forever. I know you've got a number of dates coming up, uh, including the Roundhouse Takeover, which, uh, with friends on the 31st of May, uh, it's a, a nine-hour event, so tell us more about that. Are you going to let anyone else play, or is it uh, eight hours 55 of Mr. Scruff? And, well, yeah, I was tempted. It's over three rooms, and I thought if I bring enough long records, I could do a kind of uh, concurrent 27-hour set. But then I thought, actually, because... I hog the decks at pretty much every gig I do. It's really nice, especially now we're coming into festival season to get a bit more collaborative. So we've got quite a lot of live stuff on there. We've got uh, Portico Quartet Live, uh, Matthew Halsall, who's featured heavily on the album. He's doing a live thing with his trio, quite kind of hard, electronic, but really jazzy. That's great. We've got uh, Worker. He's, he's coming to do something live as well. Dennis Jones is doing his live stuff. Uh, we've got Fatima and the Eglo Band Live, which... Yeah, over the moon when, when uh, she agreed to do it, so really excited about that. Alex Nutt, as well, from Eglo, is going to come and play some tunes. Um, and I think the next day or so, we're going to be firming up a few more bits and bobs. So, yeah, really excited to get the full lineup together. The first time we walked around the venue, it's like, wow, this is, it looks amazing outside, but inside, it's such an awe inspiring place. And when you mention it to people as well, like, yeah, what a brilliant venue. And it's so well run, you know, everyone's there, it's just really passionate and professional you know nothing's going to go wrong it's just going to go really smoothly they're even getting a real ale tent out on the terrace upstairs for me so it's like yes come on I might, I might wear my slippers <laughs> <laughs> so that just leaves us to say thank you very much thank for you. Uh, being a part of the Ninja Tune podcast for the second time and the new Mr Scruff album Friendly Bacteria is out now so make sure you go and uh, check that out 
Well, it's time now to turn our attention to some of the new releases coming out on the Ninja Tune family of labels. And we start with the last podcast guest, which was Ilum Sphere. And this is the title track from his Spectrovex mini album, which was released on Record Store Day with lots of lovely packaging and is now available digitally on Ninja Tune. Vex by Illumsphere, and that comes with remixes of his album track Embryonic by Lone and Lego Well, plus more remixes from Zed Bias and Darbray. Up next, it's Khalees with a track from her critically acclaimed album Food, and this is Rumble, and it's remixed by Actress, and is also coming out on Ninja Tune. with the actress remix of Rumble. Up next is Kate Tempest with her new single, The Beigeness, on Big Dada. Who's bad to the kiddie in the jacko hat? To the kiddie in a Rooney shirt dragging back? The curtains in the room in her daddy's flat? A young girl heard the truth in an alley cat Howling on the roof next door? Imagine that all your idols were just like you. Nothing's beyond you. Do what you want to do if you feel that it wants you to. Look, true never meant nothing more than it means right now when everything's fake. But you and your deepest reaches keeping secrets Know what it takes to make a meaning mean something I'm moving through a space 
Kate Tempest with her single The Beigeness, and that's taken from her album Everybody Down, which is out now on Big Dada. Next, it's Moire and a track from his new 12. It's coming out on Work Discs Ninja Tune, and this track is called B Boy 202. with B-Boy 202 and that's coming out on the 12 inch and digital formats via work discs and Ninja Tune. Finally we give you a track from Martin and this track he features alongside Fortet which is titled Glass B Games 8 Hours of Fabric Dub. Fabric Dub version of Glassbeat Games by Martin and Fortet. It's his new EP Forgiveness out on Ninja Tune. Well, that's it for the Ninja Tune podcast. I'd like to thank Mr. Scruff once again for taking part in this. 
and to Tom for helping produce this episode and of course everyone listening.